Okay, so Pastor Tony said last week, he said, all heaven's going to break loose in chapter 2 of Acts, and it does, and uh, so that's where we're going to be tonight. Uh, we're going to go through all 47 verses, I think it's 47, so we're gonna, I'm going to go ahead and read the scripture now, and then we'll come back uh, after it, and we'll dig into it. So let me, let me start by uh, reading the scripture. And we'll, again, we're starting Acts chapter 2, verse 1. The coming of the Holy Spirit. When the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind. And it filled the whole house where they were sitting. Then there appeared to them divided tongues as of fire and one sat upon each of them and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And when this sound occurred, the multitude came together and were confused because Everyone heard them speak in his own language. Then they were all amazed and marveled, saying to one another, Look, are not all these who speak Galatians? And how is it that we hear each in our own language in which we were born? Parthians, Medes, Elamites, those dwelling in Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, Asia, Phygra, Phygria, Phygia, um, Pamphylia, Egypt, and parts of Libya adjoining Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabs. We hear them speaking in our own tongues the wonderful works of God. So they were all amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, whatever could this mean? Others mocking said, they are full of new wine. But Peter, standing up with the eleven, raised his voice and said to them, Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and heed my words, for these are not drunk as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day. But this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. And it shall come to pass in the last days, says God, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophecy. Your young men shall see visions. Your old men shall dream dreams. And on my men servants and on my maid servants, I will pour out my spirit in those days and they shall prophecy. I will show wonders in heaven above. And signs in the earth beneath, blood, fire, and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood. Before the coming of the great and awesome day of the Lord, and it shall come to pass that whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man of attested by God to you by miracles, 
wonders and signs which God did through him in your midst. As you yourselves also know him being delivered by the determined purpose and foreknowledge of God. You have taken by lawless hands, have crucified and have put to death. Whom God raised up having loosed the pains of death because it was not possible that he should be held by it. For David says coming him concerning him. I foresaw the Lord, the Lord always before my face. For he is at my right hand that I may not be shaken. <clears throat> Therefore, my heart rejoiced and my tongue was glad. Moreover, my flesh will rest in hope for you will not leave my soul in Hades, nor will you allow your Holy One to see corruption. You have made known to me the ways of life. You will make me full of your joy in your presence. Men and brethren, let me speak freely to you of the patriarch David, that he is both dead and buried and his tomb is with us this day. Therefore, being a prophet and knowing that God has sworn with an oath to him that the fruit of his body, according to the flesh, he would raise up the Christ to sit on the throne. He, foreseeing this, spoke concerning the, the resurrection of Christ, that his soul was not, lo- not left in Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus... God has raised up, of which we are all witnesses. Therefore, being exalted to the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he poured out this which you see and hear. For David did not ascend into the heavens, but he says of himself, Lord, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. Now, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? Then Peter said to them, repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Christ for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promises to you and your children and all who are afar off, as many as the Lord our God will call. And with many other words, he testified and exhorted them, saying, Be saved from this perverse generation. Then those who gladly received his word were baptized. And that day about 3,000 souls were added to them. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship in the breaking of bread and in prayers. Then fear came upon every soul and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. Now all who believed were to get together. And had all things in common and sold their possessions and goods and divided them among all as anyone had need. So continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house. They ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart. 
praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily those who are being, who are being saved. So tonight, I, I thought we would best review this chapter following the outline of the Bible because it's a very clear outline. There's no, no mystery, no, guess, no guessing here. It's very clear what went on, what happened, and, uh, and who, was, who was involved. So I think we'll just follow that outline and, and we'll go back and dig into these verses and see what, what, um, what the Spirit has for us tonight. So the day of Pentecost is in verses 1 through 4. It's a promise. A promise of Jesus is kept and prophecy is fulfilled. So we need to figure out what did it mean then and what it means for us today. In verses 5 through 13, there is a response, the crowd response. They talk of the impact on the crowd and their response. And again, what it did signify then and what does it mean for us today? And then we have Peter's sermon. Peter's sermon looks back towards a Jew, and it's also looking forward to all. He, he, Peter's sermon brings it together right there. So what, what does that look for, like for us today? And what does it mean for us today? And then in, in the last verses, 40 through 47, we have a, ser- a summary basically of how the church grew and what, what, uh, what are some of the things they did day to day going forward. So let's start out with verses 1 through 4, the day of Pentecost. So um, let me ask a question. Does, does anybody here knows what that word means? Oh, good. Nobody raised their hands. Oh, there's one way back there. Okay. Well, I didn't know either. So let's 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 uh, let's examine it together. Now, one thing we have to do is, is I always say, and X always is admonishing us to keep context and context to me is key to experiencing all that God's inspired word has for us. And we can take pieces and get a lot from pieces. But when you take the full word in context, beginning to end, there's a lot to be discovered and a lot to learn from what God has has for us. Now in the Greek, the word Pentecost means 50th. And I tell you, it's not a mystery that the Holy Spirit arrived on a day that coincided with the Jews' memorial, the Feast of Weeks. There is no mystery in Jesus telling the apostles to wait. Now I'll tell you, the reason I wrote that is because when, when I sit down to do this, I pray and I ask the Lord, Lord, show me what there is here. I know there's Pentecost here. We know the Holy Spirit came on that day. We know all these things happened, but it, there's more here I know. And there is more here. I mean, the delivery of the Holy Spirit is enough. But again, when you take it into context, it tells you a lot about God and how he operates. There is a significance. There is significance in those time frames, um, in the in the time of Pentecost. Nothing happens by chance where God is involved, and everything is planned with purpose. 
I always thought I would read those scriptures and, and uh, they would say, Jesus told them to wait. And I would always wonder why. Why did he say wait? What was going on? Did they have to, did something have to happen? But it's pretty clear. It's pretty logical. You see, the giving of the law to the Israelites and the dispensation of grace through our Lord Jesus marked the delivery of the old and the new covenants, respectively. Our God does not overlook any details and is written here for us to see. Jesus told the disciples to wait in Jerusalem. Why? In order to understand, we, we have to visit the Old Testament to gain some context. In Exodus 23, the law is given to the Israelites. Exodus 23:14 through 16 says, Three times you shall keep a feast to me in the year. You shall keep the feast of the unleavened bread. You shall eat unleavened bread seven days. And as I commanded you at the time appointed in the month of Abib, for in it you came out of Egypt. None shall appear before me empty. And the feast of harvest, the first fruits, the first fruits of your labor, which you have sown in the field, and the feast of ingathering at the end of the year. When you have gathered in the fruit of your labors from the field. Now this gives us a basic, basic statute. statute. So in, in Exodus, the framework is laid out of what the, what the Lord wants the Israelites to do. Now if you go over to Leviticus 23, you get the fine details. Leviticus gives us the fine details of the law. In the beginning with verse 23, these are the feast of the Lord. Holy convocations which you shall proclaim at their appointed times. On the 14th day of the first month at twilight is the Lord's Passover. And on the 15th day of the same month is the feast of unleavened bread to the Lord. Seven days you must eat unleavened bread. On the first day you shall have only have a holy convocation, and you shall do no customary work on it, but you shall off you shall offer an offering made by fire to the Lord for seven days. The seventh day shall be a holy convocation. You shall do no customary work on it. The feast of the first fruits. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the children of Israel and say to them, When you come into the land which I give you and reap its harvest, then you shall bring a sheaf of first fruits of your harvest to the priest. He shall wave the sheaf before the Lord to be accepted on your behalf. On the day after the Sabbath, the priest shall wave it. And you shall offer on that day when you have the wave sheaf a male lamb of the first year without blemish as a burnt offering to the Lord. Its grain offering shall be two-tenths of an ephah of fine flour mixed with oil and an offering made by fire to the Lord for a sweet aroma and its drink offering shall be of wine, one-fourth of a hen. You shall eat neither bread nor parched grain nor fresh fruit until the same day that you have brought an offering to your Lord. To your God. It shall be a statute forever. 
God said forever. It shall be a statute forever throughout your generations and all your dwellings. Then we have the Feast of Weeks. And you shall count for yourselves from the day of the Sabbath, from the day that you brought the sheaf of the wave offering, seven Sabbaths shall be completed. Count 50 days to the day after the seventh Sabbath, Sabbath, and you shall offer a new grain offering to the Lord. I'm going to stop right there. So let's do some math. Let's do some math here. So Jesus was crucified on Passover. He was a lamb slain for us. He rose on the third day. His blood overcame death for us, just as the Israelites were protected from the angel of death that struck the Egyptians. Jesus was among the people after he rose for 40 days. On the 40th day, he ascended, telling his disciples to wait in Jerusalem for the spirit. So on the 50th day, guess what? The festival of first fruits, the spirit came to the gathering. So you see the disciples became the fruits of Jesus' sacrifice and the offering for us. They became the first fruits and the first harvest. And so the spirit was, a, was given to them on that day, on the 50th day. The spirit is and was first fruits of our Lord's har- harvest. The church age begins and Jesus made good on his promise from John 14:16 through 18. He said, "And I will pray the Father, and he will give you another helper that he may abide with you forever, the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him or knows him, but you know him, for he dwells with you and will be with you, and I will not leave you orphans, I will come to you." The spirit was delivered at the right time in accord with all of God's statutes. So, and his purposes and planning. So you st- think about it over here. He's told the Israelites, you're going to do these three memorials and you're going to do it forever. And it shall be a memorial t- to the Lord and you're going to do it forever. So when the new covenant is brought in, it's not like the Lord just threw that, statute away it remained and not only did it remain but he delivered on it at the same time he he delivered on it on pentecost the first fruits after passover he delivered so it continues now did the jews get it did they see it at the time no they didn't but For you and I, we can sit here and see that there's no mystery here. There was a reason that Pentecost, as in the Greek, is called is called is 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 for the word fifty, and there's a reason that the Lord fulfilled His promise on that day. The beautiful thing about it is not only did Jesus offer Himself as a sacrifice, He was our sacrifice. His blood was sacrificed for us. He delivered for us. 
And not only did he do that, but he also delivered the first fruit. He also delivered the gift. He said he'd go back and pray. And he'd made good on that. He delivered the Holy Spirit, the helper for us. So he, he's done that. And he's kept his father's word. And he's kept the statutes that, that the, the Lord uh, provided. So there's, there's not a mystery there. The, only, the mystery is, it is in the Holy Spirit. The mystery is in the Holy Spirit. These events will stand as a roadmap for the Jew and a memorial for those being saved by grace. An everlasting atonement by our great high priest. These examples help us understand why God answers our prayers the way he does. What looks like waiting sometimes may mean that God is, and we know he is indeed working all the time, according to his plan and not ours. Indeed, he has already seen the future and made arrangements for us. You can't, you, you, can, you would never be able to convince me that when the Israelites came out of Israel and the Lord established these memorials that he didn't know what was coming in the future. You never, you, you just, it may look that way to us when it's the way it's written, but if you dig in and find, dig into the, into the scripture and you keep it in context, you find out there's no mystery there. He knew in the beginning and he knew in the end where, what was going to happen, and, and he knew he would send Jesus to save us. He even told Moses back in Exodus, he said, I've seen these people, they're a stiff-necked people. So he knew what he was dealing with, and he knew what he'd have to do. So we should be able to always rest in the fact that God will get it right, and he'll not miss any details. And when he does deliver... It will be done by his word, by his will, and it will be right. It will be correct. There won't be any, any um, mystery, if you will, or anything left out. For the Jews of that time, it was a fulfillment of many prophecies from the Old Testament. For us, Pentecost stands as a revelation of grace to the church of Christ. Pentecost is a milestone. Pentecost is a major revelation for us today. The Holy Spirit was delivered to us. The helper was delivered. For the Jews, it was a time of conviction for those that repented. And it didn't come by surprise again. If we keep it in context, we go all the way back to Malachi, 400 years. Malachi 4, 5 says, Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord, and he will turn the hearts of fathers to children and the hearts of children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the earth with a curse. We could do a whole study on Malachi's prophecy, but here are some, scripture, some scriptures for you to go back and read and, uh, and, and to give you some context. John 1, 21, Matthew uh, 11 and uh, 14, Matthew 17, 10 through 13, and Luke 
1, 16 and uh, 17. So 200 years before Malachi was Isaiah. And we know what Isaiah said in 40 verse 3. He said, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. And then 200 years before Isaiah, Joel, that Peter um, uh, quoted, and it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. So before I read any further, so here's Joel 200 years before Isaiah. And what is that, 800 years? It's 800 years before Christ. So Joel is telling us, they all tell us, the day is coming. The, the Savior is coming. He sent, I'm sending him. And, he said, and Joel is saying, here's what's going to happen. He says, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams. Your young men shall see visions. Now, I recall last week, Pastor Tony mentioned that the Jews had the advantage of all the scripture from the Old Testament with these with all these prophets. So this this was no surprise. It should not have been a surprise. It should have been able to say, man, all these prophets have said this. And here we are today and we have this event going on in Israel. And indeed, some of them did, as we'll see. But the, 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 the point is, is that. It was no surprise. God gave plenty of warning. He didn't just do things arbitrarily. He had a plan. He had a purpose. He told the Israelites his purpose in in Exodus. And he sets about, the Lord sets about his plan. Nothing haphazard about about it, no mystery. It was all written for them then, and it gives us perspective today. We have a roadmap looking forward and backwards. The Spirit has shown us what happened before and what is to come. We won't be surprised. I don't think we will. But what should we be doing with that gift today? So, so here are Lord's words on how to take advantage of the gift of the Holy Spirit. And so I st- stole this. He comes to help us. What did Jesus say? It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. That's in John 16, 7. Jesus said to abide. He knew that would be easier said than done. He knew that would be easier said than done. So what did he do? He sent us a helper. Planned it way back. Planned it way back. He knew our flesh would get the best of us sometimes. So we have a helper that we can call on. We can talk to. He comes to guide. What did Jesus say? He said, when he, the spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth. John 16, 13. Jesus knew and knows that the world is corrupt and will try to lead us astray. But the spirit is greater than the world. 
Jude reminds us before in the, in, in the book of Jude, he reminds us that uh, wolves and people will come into the church to try and lead us astray. But as X said, we always have the plumb line, which is the word of God. And the word is inspired by the spirit. So he's here to guide us. All we have to do is pay attention and read and listen. And then the spirit, he comes to show the future. What did Jesus say? He said, he will tell you what is yet to come. He will tell you what is yet to come. John 16, 13. Through the Holy Spirit, our eyes, our ears and hearts are open to see and hear the world through scripture. By him, we know what's happening today. When we look around us today, um, I, it, it def- people's, their, their conversation and their logic defies all logic. Some of the things that our leaders, our elect, elected leaders are saying, it just, it's gobbledygook, right? I mean, it's, it doesn't make sense. Up is down, down is up. Right's left, left's right. That's really what's going on. But you know what? We know why. The Spirit tells us in Romans it'll be like in the days of Noah. The Spirit tells us. So it's no mystery to us. It's not. It may be painful to watch, but a mystery it isn't. We know it. The Spirit has told us. So let's talk about the crowd's response in verses 5 through 13 a little bit. So when I was writing this, the word that popped into my head was um, microcosm. So what is a microcosm? I'm thinking about this crowd and what's going on. Got a picture of this, this crowd. And these people are speaking tongues. Some people are understanding and hearing and trying to figure out why I'm, how am I understanding this? And they're getting it. And others aren't. Others are saying stupid things like today. So here's a definition of the word microcosm. A community, place, or situation regarded as encapsulating in miniature the characteristic qualities or features of something much larger. So when you look at this crowd and you see how they respond with some people getting it, some people hearing the word, some people understanding and others over here shaking their heads like, hey, these are a bunch of idiots. These guys are all drunk. Isn't that what's going on in the world today? They look at us, the church, and they go, you guys are a bunch of fools. This is all nonsense. It's what they're saying today. But, I don't, but, but you and I, we hear. We understand. We take it for granted what the scriptures tell us. We take it for granted what we hear and what we understand. There are people in the world, they can read this all day long. They won't get it. They will not get it. I don't know why. I mean, I know why. Um, And the only reason I understand why is because I'm looking at it through scripture and I know what God says about it. But 
There are people out there, they can read this, the Bible all day long and they'll never get it. They'll never accept it. They'll, it'll be foolishness to them always. But you and I hear differently when we read it. We see differently. So I think this is a representation, a representation of what the church is experiencing in the world today. In John, Jesus said in John 10, 25, he's talking to the Jews in the temple. Jesus answered them, I told you and you do not believe. The works that I do are in my father's name. They bear witness of me, but you do not believe because you are not of my sheep. As I said to you, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. I guarantee you when, the, when on the day of Pentecost, the sheep heard that they heard the voice, they heard the spirit. And they heard the wonderful language and the works of God that the, the disciples and the uh, apostles talked about. But today, people don't hear. You, again, you can talk about it all day and they won't, they won't hear it. So we have examples of that today. So the world says we are fools to believe, but we hear the spirit of truth. In these verses, we learn that some did not hear and understand the tongues and decided and decided what they heard was a babble of drunken men. So let me stop here. I got myself a note here that we need to stop. And let's be clear as to what tongues we're talking about, because there's a whole lot of conversation about tongues out there, right? And people use this scripture to say, oh, the Holy Spirit comes. And when he comes to you, you got to speak in tongues because if you don't, you're not filled. I don't see that in this scripture. I see this scripture very clearly. What it said was, is that tongues of fire fell on these men. That's a mystery in itself. That's a wonderful thing. Man, I wish I could see that. I know we all wish we could see that. But. What it also said was they spoke in language in their in their native languages and everybody understood. So it'd be like what I said here. Um, well, Miriam Webster says. A tongue is a style or manner of speaking a spoken language. All right. And the scripture clearly says we are talking about people suddenly being enabled to understand the languages of other peoples and cultures. They said it. They said, what do we have here? We have Galileans, we got Medes, we got Persians, they're all here, and we're all understanding one another. How is that? I'm, 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 I'm Persian, and I'm hearing a Mede over here, I guess. I don't know if I'm, what I'm talking about here, but I, I can understand what this person is saying. And I'm understanding it in my language. So to, 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 it would be like um, you or I hearing somebody speak Chinese and hearing the Chinese. And I use Chinese because it's, it's a difficult. I've read that it's one of the most difficult languages to, to learn. But it would be like you are listening and hearing someone speak Chinese yet being able to decipher it in English so we'd understand. You'd hear them speaking, but you're going to hear it, you're going to hear it in your native language. Now, is that a mystery? 
Yeah, that's a mystery that the Holy Spirit can do that. But we're talking about the creator of the universe, right? He can do anything. And just it's an example of what he can do when he decides to do something. And it's an example. But they weren't speaking gobbledygook. They weren't speaking different tongues. As you hear people talk about today, they were speaking known languages of the world. They just all understood each other. And that itself is a, is a miraculous and wonderful mystery. But the important point here is that they were all of one accord and they heard God's message. They heard the wonderful things of God through the Spirit enabling them to hear it. And that's what he does for us today when we read the scriptures. He the Spirit enables us. And, well, He enables us to hear. He enables us to understand what's, what's written in, in the Scriptures for us. And back in verse 13 again, it says, Others mocking said they are full of new wine, so it seems that, it, that everyone heard my words. It seems that everyone heard but did not understand. So they heard something going on, but they didn't understand it. So I come away with that. There obviously were people in that crowd that the Spirit didn't call. I don't know why, but it's pretty obvious here. And here's what Jesus said. Jesus said back in John 10, 27, My sheep, my sheep, Hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. So that's what Jesus said. So if, if, he, if they're his sheep, if they hear, he knows them, and they follow him. So evidently there were some in that crowd that didn't get it. And it's the same way in the world today. It's people in the world, they don't hear it, and they don't get it. And they certainly don't follow Jesus. So it is, a, it is a microcosm of what the world is like today. The Spirit tells us in 1 Corinthians 1.18, For the message of the cross, we're over in the New Testament, For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. It's pretty clear. The message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. So, you know, you, you, need, to, <laughs> you need to ask yourself, or I made a note here, it says, which crowd are you with? But you know what? If you're in this room tonight, you know which crowd you're with. You know, you know which crowd you're with. So let's go to Peter's sermon now in verses 14 through 39. The last week, Pastor Tony spoke about obedience. Obedience. You know, Jesus talked a lot about obedience. And agape love is, is part of obedience. 
when you do something for somebody or you sacrifice for somebody because you love them. It's the right thing to do. It may not be great for you, but you're doing it because that's what you're supposed to do. So let's see what Peter does. Peter sets an example as he executes on specific instruction given to him by the Lord. And I've written here, let's pay homage. And I really mean to use that word homage. Let's pay homage to this unforgettable moment by reviewing what Jesus told Peter to do. I mean, this is what they call a watershed moment. So I'm going to go over now to John 21, verses 15 through 19. You guys know where that is. You know what this is. And in full perspective and context, this is what's given to us by the Spirit now. Because here we are at Pentecost. And here's Peter. This is the picture. Peter is standing up there and he's talking to this multitude. So let's, let's gain some perspective. So John 21, verses 15 through 19. So when, when they had eaten breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me more than these? So I'm going to stop right there. And so I've heard a lot of discussion about these verses we're going to go through and what, what's happening with Peter. People say Jesus is reminding Peter and he's, he's giving Peter a tough time and reminding him, you know. But it's, it's way deeper than that. It's way deeper than that. So let's go over to Matthew twenty six thirty three for some context. This, is, this was Peter's response when Jesus told the apostles what was going to occur. Peter answered and said to him, Even if all are made to stumble because of you, I will never be made to stumble. That's what Peter said. Jesus is taking him back to that moment, not to scold him, but to teach him. So, you know what happened in that time frame, right? Back over there in Matthew, uh, Peter denied Jesus three times, right? And I guess he even cursed about it when he was called called uh, called out on being a, a, a an apostle so back over in John again he said to him yes lord you know that i love you and jesus said to him he said to him feed my lambs now you know there's no words wasted in the scripture it's inspired There's no words wasted in scripture. If it's here, it's here for a reason. There's a reason Jesus said, feed my lambs. Peter, he remained steadfast in his his desire, even even though his flesh may have failed, which is a good thing. He loves the Lord, but he just, he, at at those particular moments in time, he was just kind of weak. But the key point here is, is that Jesus uses the word lambs. Lambs are baby sheep. They need milk at first. Jesus demonstrates that Peter must look upon these as less, as not less, but feed them to grow in their knowledge. Back over there in Matthew, he's ready to, you know, those other guys, I don't care about them. I'm I'm with you, Lord. I'm not going to leave you. But he can't do that now 
He can't do that. There's going to be people called by the Spirit, and people, Peter's going to be in charge of feeding them. He's going to be in charge of making them grow. And that's what Jesus is talking about here, and that's why he said lambs. He said, feed my lambs. The same holds true for us as, as disciples today. A new believer does not need to know the roots of the word Pentecost, but only that the Holy Spirit was given to help us and dwell with us. Later on, they're going to learn what Pentecost means. Later on, they're going to be reading the Bible in the new, new, uh, new beginners class, and they're going to start to gain all that context. But that's what Peter's job was, is to bring people along, bring the lambs along. You're going to have lambs in there. Then Jesus said to him a second time, Uh, Again, a second time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said, tend my sheep. All right, we'll stop here again. This time Jesus says sheep. Now, the Lord wasn't just fooling around with English or Greek or whatever it was when he went from lambs to sheep. He He had a reason for that, and he says, tend my sheep. And so he's telling Peter, we need to be, he, we, we, he was going to be responsible for continually tending and feeding the flock as they grew. He was going to be responsible for shepherding them. And we need to do the same here for uh, today. We need to be continually fed so that we continually grow. We need to stay in the word and we need to listen. We become, go from lambs to sheep and we need to be tended. We need to stay in the word and ask for guidance from the spirit. Jesus is telling Peter to shepherd the church. The flock needs to be continually grazed and fed. Some of us do pretty good at that, but we need to be continually grazed and fed. Let's move on. Verses 17 of 19, 17, 19 of John 21. And he said to him the third time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? And Peter was grieved. Because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, this time, he says, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Most assuredly, I say to you, when you were younger, you girded yourself and you walked where you wish. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will gird you and carry you where you do not wish. This he spoke signifying by what death he would glorify God. And when he had spoken this, he said to him, follow me. It's pretty clear. He's told Peter, he's given Peter three pretty clear instructions. And he got to the end. He said, follow me. He's talking to Peter. Now, yeah, um, we need to follow Jesus too. And we need to understand conceptually for us what this means. We need to follow. We need to do the same thing. We need to work. We need to work with the lambs. We need to be good shepherds. And then we need to be ready to pick up our cross and follow Jesus. We need to stay true to him and and always take up the 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 uh, the the fight for the faith. So I ask you now, do you think Peter got it? So I wrote here, I think so, because in Acts two, verse 14 Peter, in obedience, in obedience, takes up the Great Commission right away by addressing the crowd and feeding them God's truth. But no, 
that he, at this point he has the helper with him. This is the same Peter that was afraid and denied Jesus three times. But he's not doing it this time. He's standing out on the balcony in Jerusalem. Everybody's listening, right? Romans, everybody. He's not worried about it. He's following through on what Jesus told him to do. Jesus did not orphan the apostles nor us. He's here with us. He was there with Peter. He was there with them. In verses 15 through 22, Peter educates and reminds them of the prophecy of God's words. And again, this was a tall order. He emerges from the upper room with the power and wisdom to do God's will. And here he is fluently speaking to the people of multiple cultures. Keep that in mind as he's talking. He's talking to a whole bunch of people, and they're all understanding him. He's, 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 uh, he's, he's communicating, if you will, his, through, a, through a heavenly voice, but they're all hearing They're all hearing him. And he's quoting scripture and prophecy uh, uh, to these same people. He is acting on the last instruction that Jesus gave him. He speaks to the least of them and to the greatest of them. All who will listen and hear an example for us. It's an example for us. I know we have a street witnessing team um, and God has called them to do that. I've, I've gone out there with them. I don't have the patience. I kind of like want to grab people and say, get over here and let me read you this. But, you know, they have the, they have the patience that, that God has given them to go out and do that. And there's lambs out there. And there's some sheep. And there's some old sheep out there that need to be called back into the fold. But they're doing God's work. And that's the example that Peter is setting for us. And this is what Jesus has asked us to do. And the other beautiful thing here is that where God where God's will sends you will send you he will protect and provide for you he will give you what you need to do what you need to get the job done this same Peter who cut off ears same Peter who cut off ears cursed people for associating him with Christ this same Peter who had the faith to jump into a raging sea to go to his Lord the same Peter of whom Christ said Blessed are you, son, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I, I also say to you that you are Peter. You know, Peter in the Greek means rock, right? You are Peter. And on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven and whatever you loose on earth will be bound, will be loosed in heaven. So way back there, Jesus had confidence in Peter. He knew what Peter was made of. Peter's delivering on it. Jesus has made good on his part. Peter's taking up his part and doing his job. In verses 36 through 38, Peter specifically calls out the Jews in the crowd. Those that are called and convicted by the spirit, they get it. It says they were cut to the heart. Peter lays it out for them in scripture. They see the roadmap of grace. They see the roadmap to get them to repent. So they get it. All that Peter lays out for them that great perspective. The spirit has called them. 
they hear it and they get it. And they're cut to the heart. Yep, we, we, we crucified the Christ. But the good news is there's grace and repentance for them, through repentance for them. Peter reminds us in verse 39 that grace is for all who hear and are called. All who hear and are called. So in verses 40 through 47, we have a summary. And then Peter continued his delivery that day with the power of the Spirit, leading people to the cross and baptizing them. All who heard and were called. Scripture says they added 3,000 people to the church that day. Lambs and sheep, many hearts to nourish with God's word, uniting all believers and educating them in proper doctrine. Verse 42 and 43 says, And they continued steadfastly in the, the apostles' doctrine and fellowship in the breaking of bread and in prayers. Then fear came upon every soul. And many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. So I, kind of, I, I wonder what that, what that fear meant. And so, you know, I, I believe the Spirit um, answered that for me and helped me out with that one. So here's what, I, what, I, what I've come away with, this, what I believe this fear is. I think this was a good, healthy fear. It's the kind you have when you realize that your boss gave you a really big job and said, hey, I know you can go do this, go do it. And, you're, and then you go, you start looking at it, you realize how big it really is, right? And you go, oh, can I do this? So I think it was that kind of fear. But the apostles and the newly recruited disciples had duminous, right? They had power, strength, and ability. Come to them from on high to get the job done. The apostles and the new disciples had to organize to do the work of the Lord. But we know they were successful because of the Holy Spirit's leading and guiding them in truth. We, the church, we, the church of Jesus Christ, stand here today as a testimony to the work of the, of the Spirit. The book of Jude. I like to refer to the book of Jude as a corporate memo to the church. Because Jude comes across the ages to remind us of our charge. <clears throat> In verse 3, Jude says, Beloved, I was, while I was, ve- I was very diligent to write to you concerning our common salvation, I found it necessary to write to you exhorting you to contend earnestly for the faith which was once for all delivered to the saints. And then down in verse 22 in Jude, he kind of sums it up and he says, and, and on some have compassion, making a distinction, but others save with fear, pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garment defiled by the flesh. We have God's word and spirit here for us to review, for us to get a preview and to guide us. Through the Holy Spirit, we will continue the work until our Lord returns. Let's pray. Father, we come before you this evening again, Lord, at the end of our study. And we, we again, thank you for the space and time, Lord. And just uh, have your word go out and anoint those and all who hear 
and are called, Lord, that they would come to you and ask your forgiveness and repent their sins, Lord, because you're there. This work goes on today, uh, always as we speak, Lord. And there's always those lambs out there that um, they hear and they're just waiting for someone to feed them a little milk to get them started, Lord, and grow them into the sheep that, and, and be shepherded, Lord. So again, Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this time. In Jesus' name, amen.